Hey, book lovers. Want to hear a story? Welcome back to Storytime with M. This is a mini episode from M's Books and Cats podcast, and I am sharing my book, The Last Witch, a chapter a week, mostly. I did miss the last couple of weeks. Um, I've just been trying to get things together for future projects. But now Storytime is back, and this week is chapter nine. Enjoy. The game dragged on forever. There were not very many of the special cards, and everything else was just filler. This game would be settled on one of the chance turns. That much was very clear. But we had to play by the rules and could not hurry things along. I was beginning to enjoy the changes in our environment as the cards were drawn. I drew a card with a purple petal on it, and the hedge exploded in tiny, bright purple flowers. Their scent was warm and gentle and almost overwhelming. It made Evelyn gag, and I laughed out loud. The cards, once pulled from the stack, vanished as soon as they were placed upon the board. But there was one I had not put back. The card Blade gave me. The red heart. I slipped it into my pocket when Evelyn wasn't looking. I could feel its warmth against my skin. Blade had seen me do it, and I saw him glance at me several times with a gentle smile that melted my heart. Evelyn pulled the next special card. It was a green fairy this time, carrying a long sword and the dice. She chose the dice without hesitation, and as soon as she vanished, Blade kissed me. It took me by surprise, and I fell back on the grass. He laughed and helped me up. He placed his hand over the pocket that held the card. It was glowing through the dark fabric of my dress. I'm glad you have this. Keep it close, and my heart will always be with you. We were sitting close together with our arms barely touching. He took my hand and laced our fingers together. As he traced his finger over the bones of my hand, I felt a stab of fear. He was strong, his hands far larger than mine, and he could crush the tiny bones of my hand with very little effort. His attention to me had always been varied, and until now, he had not been overly affectionate. I kept looking at the path where the light had carried Evelyn, waiting for her to appear suddenly and catch us together. Blade saw I was distracted and gave my hand a gentle squeeze before moving away. Caution is needed. I keep forgetting. I feel like I haven't truly seen you until today, Casey. You're very beautiful. I didn't know how to reply. I wanted his words to be true, but I couldn't believe them. I couldn't forget the sight of Valencia's broken body and the look in his eyes when he emerged from the hedge. I shook my head. I couldn't think about any of that right now. The game needed my full attention. I suspected Blade might be trying to distract me so Evelyn could catch me off guard. As much as I wanted to, I just couldn't trust him. As if to demonstrate the need for caution, Evelyn appeared suddenly through an opening in the hedge. A long scratch ran down her cheek, slowly oozing tiny drops of blood, but she was smiling. Her footsteps were light, and we had not heard her approach. I jumped when I saw her standing there, disheveled and grinning. I longed to know what kind of encounters she was having in the maze, and what trials they would cause me in the end. I had little time to wonder, as Evelyn reminded me that it was again my turn. I drew another elf card, and they began their timorous song. One elf stepped from the safety of the hedge. He was carrying a tin pail and the dice. I took the dice without a word, dreading what I would find, and knowing that I must vanquish as many foes as possible before Evelyn could recruit them. The light carried me down a new path in the maze, 
following a long, straight corridor for what seemed like miles, before taking a series of sharp turns. The light vanished suddenly, dumping me in a heap at the beginning of a stone path. There was a mailbox at the end of the path, with the words, Grandma's Cookie Club, written in bold pink letters. The path climbed over a small, round hill and disappeared on the other side. I followed it to the top of the hill and beheld a small cottage. The cottage was brown and inviting. The windows were surrounded by white decorative moldings that were reminiscent of a gingerbread house from one of my favorite childhood tales. The garden in front of the house was filled with plump red tomatoes and large, tempting strawberries. The flower beds that bordered the house were an explosion of color and beauty. Everything was friendly and warm, nothing like the dreary, snow-laden hell I had been dropped into before. This house was more fitting to the game, but it made me wary. Everything was too perfect, too comforting. It seemed to invoke childhood memories that I knew I had not experienced. It was a bewitching place. The door, a round cream puff in the center of the house, opened slowly, and I braced myself for what was to come. Visions of ghastly creatures filled my head, but the woman who stepped out to greet me could have been anyone's grandmother. She was short and plump with rosy cheeks and small round spectacles. She was wearing a loose-fitting floral dress with an apron, on which she dusted the flower from her hands before waving to me. Come in, dear child, come in. I have just taken the cookies from the oven, and they should be just cool enough to eat. I tried to stall. I didn't want to enter that cottage. Becoming trapped in a small house could not end well. The woman just smiled and beckoned to me with one plump finger. There's nothing to be afraid of in Grandma's house, she said. I just want you to be nice and comfortable. We have so much to talk about. I have cookies and tea waiting in the kitchen. And when we're done, I can help relieve you of your worries. Take a small break, my dear. The game will still be there when we are finished. Well, okay. I moved slowly toward the cottage. In my backpack, I could feel Duma fighting, struggling to communicate something to me without breaking his silence. I grew more apprehensive, but I couldn't turn back. I wasn't sure what would happen if I refused the challenge, and I wasn't planning on finding out. I wondered if I might be able to recruit the old woman to my side, though I doubted that she would be of much use in battle. I decided I had to try. The inside of the cottage was smaller than it looked from the outside. The walls were plastered with brightly colored wallpaper, with shells and flowers and cats dotting the eye-popping hues. The kitchen was small and decorated with bright pink floral designs. It was warm and smelled of the gooey chocolate chip cookies cooling on the wire rack on the counter. The table was set for tea, with small white china cups decorated with pink roses and a matching teapot. Have a seat, my dear. I'll get you some of my delicious chocolate chip cookies. While she busied herself getting a plate from the highest shelf in the kitchen, I took a look around. The refrigerator was covered, top to bottom, with pictures of cats. And as I sat there, a fluffy gray cat rubbed against my leg and jumped onto the table. It sat there staring at me with huge yellow eyes until the old woman shooed it away with a dish towel. She placed the plate in front of me. There were little flowers around the rim, and the cookies smelled heavenly, hot and fresh from the oven. I inhaled again and felt Duma jump against my back. There was another smell under the sweetness, something metallic and sulfurous. I had smelled the same thing when I first met Evelyn. The old woman smiled and pushed the plate closer to me. Her dentures were crooked, and her skin sagged on her bones. 
Her expression was strangely hungry as she leaned across the table. Go on, my dear, have one. I'm so happy to have company for tea. I hardly ever have visitors anymore. I pushed the plate away. No, thank you. I'm not hungry. The old woman's face darkened, and her sweet smile slipped into a desperate, forced grin. You must try one. I've been baking all day. Again, I declined. Her face became more desperate, and she begged me to eat a cookie. Her voice grew harsh and dry, and her skin turned gray. Large flakes of it peeled away and fell from her face onto the rosy tablecloth. Her eyes sunk deep into her skull, sending her spectacles clattering to the floor. Even as her body withered away, the look of desperate hunger grew. I stood up quickly, knocking over my chair, and backed away. I did not dare to turn my back on the hideous form before me. The woman followed, now so ancient and decayed that pieces of her were dropping as she moved. Her mouth gaped open, and her dentures clattered to the floor as she attempted to speak. Come back, my dear. I only want to have a little snack. I backed into the door and reached behind me, feeling blindly for the knob. My eyes remained glued to the horror before me. There was a terrible screeching as I threw the door open and sprinted into the front yard. A massive army of cats, in various stages of decay, had formed on the lawn and stood, hissing and spitting at me. I froze. My body was temporarily rooted in place by disgust. A large cat, once a calico, judging from the hanks of mottled hair, let out a cry. The group responded but did not yet move. The woman hobbled to the doorway. I began to move slowly toward the hill, following the stone path while the cats watched and howled. Go on, my babies, the old woman rasped. Go get mommy some brains, and you will have tasty flesh to nibble on. <laughs> the cats attacked instantly, moving far quicker than I expected and knocking me down. When I hit the ground, the hand mirror rolled out of my pocket. I grabbed it and started hitting the cats as they tore at me and tried to drag me back to their owner. Each time the mirror made contact, there was a squeal and a puff of dust, and then the cat was no more. Still, there were far more than I could handle, and they sank their teeth into my arms and legs, dragging me back to the house and their hungry mama. The old woman still stood in the doorway, drool visibly dripping down her chin. She licked her cracked lips hungrily. That's it, my good babies. Bring mama her dinner. The cats deposited me at her feet, and she leaned over me. Drool dripped onto my face, and I screamed. I threw my hands out in front of me, still holding the old mirror. The woman froze in horror. She grabbed the mirror, unable to look away. Is that me? That's m me? I'm, hi I'm hideous! Hideous! Her last word was cut short as she burst into a cloud of dust, and her final scream was carried away on the wind. As the dust cleared, the cats looked around in confusion, mewing pitifully and calling for their mother. I stood up. The cats had lost interest in me and were milling about the yard. The sound of their cumulative mewing was loud and abrasive, and I hurried into the house and began searching the cupboards. It took me a while to find what I was looking for. Most of the cupboards were filled with rotten bags of candy and other sweets, moldy cookies and sour milk. In a small cupboard above the sink, I finally found the cat food. I opened can after can of the smelly stuff, throwing them to the ground as the cats filed into the kitchen. They fought viciously over the first few cans, and several began climbing my legs. When the cupboard was empty, I made my way back outside, covering my face with my sleeve. 
The smell of rancid fish filled the house, and I hurried as quickly as I could, while stepping gingerly through the mass of furry, rotting bodies. Once outside, I rounded up the last few stragglers, placed them inside, and slammed the door. Standing back near the foot of the hill, I stared at the house uncertainly. I knew what to do. The spell was there, in my mind, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. I felt Duma moving around in my backpack and pulled him out. Do it and get out of here. You're taking too much time. Who knows what they're up to out there? I thought you weren't going to talk. Sorry, but this place gives me the creeps. I can read minds, Casey, and that woman's was a very dark place. I also know that you need to finish this and get back to the fountain. They're up to something. Don't give them time to plan. Fine. I raised my hand, pointing my fingers toward the house. The sound from inside was getting louder, the confused mewing turning into howls of rage. I could hear the sound of hundreds of claws scratching at the door and walls, trying to break free. As I lifted my hand, the sound grew in volume and pitch until the earth under my feet was quivering. They knew what was coming. I spoke the words, and fire leapt from my fingertips, igniting the flower bushes in front of the house. The old dry wood caught quickly, and soon the whole building was consumed. The wailing of the animals trapped inside was terrible, but it faded away as I followed the path back over the hill. I entered the maze, and the light carried me back to the fountain. When the light released me, I fell awkwardly and landed in Blade's lap. He smiled as he helped me roll ungracefully off of him, but his smile faded when he saw his sister's expression. Her face had grown very old and angry. There was no trace of the little girl she had once portrayed. She openly wore her rasky face, and it was a horrible sight to behold. Her eyes were black and round and sunk deep into her face. Her chin was long and pointed with a small mouth that was filled with sharp little teeth. She looked at me with a look of pure hatred, as if any moment she would just leap across the board and tear into my neck with her razor-like teeth. We settled back into our places around the board, and Blade drew the next card, an elf card. Their song was different for him, a lower and more devious chuckle. The elf that stepped forward had dark hair. He was unlike the two I had seen before, who had both had long golden locks. He carried a small pot, painted purple and blue, and covered with complex drawings of serpents and waves. In his other hand were the dice. Blade chose the pot. As he took it from the dark-haired elf, I could smell something sweet, like apples or honey, rising from it. Beside me, Evelyn was barely able to contain her rage. Her entire body was convulsing. Her arms and legs twitched while her face jumped and her eyes popped. Blade didn't look at her. He kept his eyes on the game until she drew her card. He was pointedly avoiding her stare, and it was obvious that he was not following their original plan. Evelyn drew a honeypot, and the hedge turned into giant honeycombs, dripping with thick, golden honey. She ran to the nearest wall and began licking it. Her face and hair were soon completely covered in honey, but she continued to devour it. It was a revolting spectacle. I drew my card quickly, hoping to change it to something disgusting before she realized her turn was over, but I drew another elf card instead. Once more, their song began. The first one, high and melodious giggling. A golden-haired elf came forward, holding the dice and a plate of cookies. They looked like the cookies from the old woman's cottage, and I gagged at the memory. I chose the dice. The light appeared and shot me straight into the sky. For a moment, I could see the entire maze and the land surrounding it. Directly opposite our house, separated by the immensity of the maze, was a green lake 
sunk in a deep basin at the foot of the far mountains. It was beautiful, and I felt a sudden, overwhelming desire to see it up close. It was a fleeting feeling, for the ball of light was soon hurtling back toward the earth, driven by the force which, moments ago, it had been defying. It hit the ground with a massive concussion, leaving a large crater that could easily have become a lake only slightly smaller than the green one I had just seen. I was surprisingly unhurt. The light held me suspended in its center and patted my landing before fading away. I was surrounded by tall, rounded hills, each a brighter hue than the last. I climbed the first, a turquoise mound the height of a small building. The ground was squishy and so smooth that it was hard to keep my footing. When I finally reached the top, I could see miles of them, stretching out as far as I could see, an ocean of orange and blue and pink and green. It looked like the cover of the sweet adventure box. I slid down the blue hill and began to climb a slightly shorter orange one, without any sense of where I was going or what I needed to do. I just followed my instincts and climbed. I was standing atop a bright yellow hill surveying the land when a dark speck appeared in the sky. It was far off, but approaching swiftly. The dark mass grew larger and larger as it sped toward me, and soon it was close enough for me to see that it was a dragon. I'd never seen a dragon. They were thought to be purely mythical in Crystal River, though Valencia had told me that there had been a whole brood of them in Norg Hollow when she was a girl. In my childhood, they existed only in fables, and were usually long and sleek, like giant flying serpents. This dragon was not. It was round, so roly-poly that it was hard to understand how it could fly so fast, with only two tiny wings supporting its immense girth. Its skin was covered with scales of deep emerald green, and speckled with small crystals, and its eyes were orange and angry as it charged toward me. It flew over my head twice, creating winds so strong I was unable to stay on my feet, and I fell to the soft, trembling ground. Duma fell out of my pack as I landed, and before I could put him back, he began to sing. The words were foreign, but the melody was sweet and familiar. It was a song I remembered from my early childhood, something my mother sang to me in the evenings before putting me to bed. The memory flooded over me, and I was powerless. I could only sit and sob. The song continued for some time, I slowly became aware of my surroundings, and I jumped up, whirling around to locate the dragon. Duma was still singing, so low the words were lost in the hum of his voice. There was no sign of the dragon. I crept to the edge and looked down. Cradled between the two hills below was the dragon, sleeping peacefully with a small, contented smile on its fearsome face. It stirred as I approached, and Duma stopped singing. The silence around us was sudden and complete. There was no sound of animal or bird in this strange land. The dragon snorted, shooting small flames from each nostril. Duma spoke softly. Nephil, mightiest of dragons, most powerful of the Westgal tribe, awake and meet your new mistress. The giant eyes opened, and Nephil sat up. He yawned and rubbed his eyes like a small child waking from a nap. There was no longer any anger in his expression. He looked at me warmly and grinned, showing all of his sharp teeth. Hello, mistress. I am Nephil of the Westgal tribe, mightiest of the dragons. I will aid you in your final test, and if you are victorious, I will join you when you once again stand on the shores of Norg Hollow. My family lived there long ago, before they were brutally slain by the Miasha clan, or kidnapped and sold to the other worlds by the Raskis. 
His face was briefly somber before resuming its jovial expression. He seemed like a cheerful dragon, something I had not expected. He was as friendly as a puppy, and we chatted for a few minutes, though he had a very limited attention span. He carried me back to the center of the maze, dropping me softly a few yards from the clearing where Blade and Evelyn waited. At Duma's insistence, I crept quietly forward while Nafil flew away. I could barely hear them over the splashing of the fountain. There's no use being kind to her. The end is near. I have collected all I need, even without your cooperation. I doubt she will last very long against them. What are you trying to gain? You cannot exist without me. If I die, you die. Not necessarily. Not immediately, perhaps, but you will slowly wither away, haunted by that missing piece of your soul. You will have to fight her eventually. Why not join me now, when it's a sure thing? I can't. Very well, you're on your own. I will not have time to watch out for you once it begins. Duma began thrashing around in the backpack, and I quietly unzipped the bag. This is very odd, he whispered. Always before, they were united for the final trial. Even with your mother, it was true. Nick seduced her away from me, and I hated her in the end. I closed the bag without replying. I was angry. My mother was a sacred subject, and I couldn't listen to him abusing her memory without feeling a fiery rage deep in the pit of my stomach. Evelyn and Blade were silent. I hoped that they had not heard Duma or felt his presence. He was going against his promise and becoming more vocal and impatient as the game went on. I was beginning to question which side he was actually on. He had helped calm the dragon and made him pledge his loyalty to me, but I couldn't help feeling that Duma was beginning to draw Evelyn to him. I saw her looking intensely at my bag several times, and more often as the game progressed. She felt him. He was too close to her, and whether he meant to or not, he was calling to her. He was calm now, silent and motionless inside the backpack. I shook my head. There was nothing I could do about Duma now. I took one last deep breath and stepped into the clearing where they were both waiting for me, watching the entrance and expectant of my return. And that is the end of Chapter 9, Book Lovers. I hope you're enjoying The Last Witch. I will be back next week with another chapter. I hope you have a wonderful week, and until next time, keep reading. A Frap Media Production.